Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the game against the Ravens and a preview of the upcoming Round 1 playoff game, also against the Ravens. And Justin Lacey is also going to stop in with some perspective on everything. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross. And you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. 12 and 4. A home playoff game. Eight wins in a row. We're the hottest team in football right now at the right time. Everything is right in front of us, just how we predicted, just how we wished for. It's right here. Okay, so let's start with some headlines. So first off, the DeMar Hamlin injury. That was a crazy one. I've never seen anything like that on a football field before. And i got to be honest, I was a little rattled by it. My eyes were tearing. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I don't mean to sound soft, but it was such a crazy, scary, emotional moment. And I don't blame the teams for not wanting to continue that game. That was just crazy. You really couldn't play football after that had happened. And the Bengals were very eloquent and professional and very human about everything, especially the statement from Mike Brown. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but one of my favorite parts from it was this. Last night was supposed to be a great night for the NFL and a great showcase for our hometown. Instead, the human side of our sport became paramount. And in that moment, humanity and love rose to the forefront. That is so well put. And really just brings what I feel, like my personal beliefs. I put people first. I'm, I'm not about profit and me first and win, win, win. I don't know. I, I care about people. And a statement like this and the way that the team acted and the players and the, the organization, it shows that they care about people too. And it was really warming to see. And this tragic incident brought everyone together. And it looks like it's going to have a good result. Hamlin's charity got a ton of money. Like I said, it looks like he's going to be okay. And, you know, everyone is just a little more compassionate and understanding about each other and saying, you know what, football is just a game. These are human beings and life and people are the most important things. All right, so with that said, I want to say one thing, though. It seems like nice guys finish last, and the Bengals were the nice guy in this situation. We said, hey, we don't want to continue the game. Take as much time as you need. Coach Taylor was the one who went over to the other sideline and said, no, not five minutes, we're done. If you guys can't continue, game's over. We're good with that. And that was a nice guy thing to do. And just how the fans were accommodating. No one was getting mad that the game wasn't continuing. Everyone was compassionate towards Hamlin, who was obviously extremely hurt at the time. The Bengals' captains went over to the other locker room to make sure everyone was okay. You know, so we did all the right things. We were the nice guy, quote-unquote. And we finished last. What happens? Roger Goodell passes his ruling, which ignores the rule book and says, it doesn't matter on winning percentage. If the Ravens beat you, you're going to have to have a coin toss for home field. And 
you know, that felt a little unfair. They just should have went by the rule book. But I understand this was an unprecedented event, so maybe it involves a rule change. That's the thought that went behind it. I can't get too mad at it, but it didn't seem fair. And the part that really didn't seem fair was, well, the Bengals had a shot at winning this game and becoming the second seed if we beat Buffalo. And by the way, that game was looking, I think we were going to take him. I know it was so early, but we were just marching. Second drive, right before it happened, we were already going to be at midfield. That looked like the Bengals game to win just by the way it started and the momentum that we had. But regardless of all that, they didn't care about that. The NFL said the Bills are the second seed. There was no coin toss for the Bengals-Bills possibility. So in a sense, that's kind of unfair. The NFL can say, well, you both played the same amount of games and Buffalo had a better record. So... Buffalo is going to be the second seed, whereas in the Ravens-Bengals, it was an uneven amount of games, so they made an exception. Either way, doesn't sit right. In the future, just go winning percentage. If if a game has to be canceled because of some crazy circumstance, such as this one, then just go to the rule book. even though someone's going to get shorted on it, that's the way it goes. And in this case, we were the team that got shorted on it because we could have climbed the ladder and had a chance at that second seed, and we didn't. It's going to cost us a home playoff game in round two. I hope that's not detrimental. But yes, it goes to show that nice guys do finish last. All right, so let's look at the playoff picture. You have the Chiefs sitting on top. They have the bye. And everyone else is left there to fight it out. So you have Miami, who's hobbling right now. They don't look like they can score. I don't know if two is coming back. He really shouldn't because of the head injury. And they're going to go play Buffalo. So you're probably looking at a Buffalo win there unless something crazy happens. And then you have Jacksonville hosting the Chargers. That can go either way. I know Jacksonville beat them up pretty badly this year, but that was right after Herbert was injured. Who knows what's going to happen there. But it's going to turn out, odds are, that you're going to have the Chiefs playing the Jags or the Chargers, and the Bengals are going to have to go into Buffalo and beat the Bills. But we wouldn't have it any other way. That's it. All right, you you want to challenge us? You want us to show you that we're the best team? Fine. We'll go out round one. We'll beat a division rival. Even though we just saw them, it's the third time we're playing them. It's tough to beat a team multiple times. We don't care. We're going to roll over the Ravens. You want to bring us into Buffalo, the chosen ones, everyone's Super Bowl favorite, Josh Allen MVP, whatever you want to talk. We're going to go in there, and we're going to finish what we started when they were in Cincinnati. And then you're going to go on to the next level of MVP chosen one team, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and we're going to go in there, and we're going to school them one more time. And that's the road to the Super Bowl. We're going to win a tough divisional matchup and two tough road games that most teams in the league would never get through and we're going to get through them and we're going to overcome adversity and if you can mow through this playoff gauntlet you deserve to be in the Super Bowl and you're probably going to win it all right so the big concern right now is the Alex Kappa injury and he was playing at near a Pro Bowl level if not a Pro Bowl level before he went down I think him and Karras were our two best linemen Every game I was talking about how flawless they were and, you know, they're, they're making big holes in the running game. They're protecting Burrow. Just an excellent season out of him. And it's just a shame to see him go down. And it looked bad. I thought it was his knee. They're saying it's his ankle. Either way, he's probably not going to be back for the rest of the playoffs. And that's tough because that side, now Collins is out for the year. You have Adenergy filling in. And honestly, I had my criticisms of Adenergy and I was still mad over the Super Bowl. May never get over that from last year. But he's playing pretty well right now. But the only other thing is now you're going to have two backups on that side. We'll assume Adenergy can continue playing at this level, even though it's going to get harder and harder as the playoffs go by because the teams are going to get better and better. They're going to be really game playing against the right side of the offensive line for the Bengals. And now it leaves the hole of what do we do in place of Alex Kappa at right guard. So Max Sharping was the next man up, and he came from the Texans. He's played in 33 games and he was a second-round pick, so he's the most logical person to go into that role. Now, when he was playing for those Texans teams, they had a very suspect offensive line, so I know he played a bunch of games, but it was for a struggling offensive line. I don't know if it was all his fault, none of his fault, whatever, but he, he wasn't on you know, the Anthony Munoz of the Bengals-type line when he was with the Texans. But here he is, probably going to be starting at right guard for us. At least it's someone who's been battle-tested and has a bunch of NFL experience. Other options are you bring in Jackson Carmen, maybe Deontay Smith. Maybe you bring in Trey Hill as a center and kick out Karras to guard. I mean, those are, those are second-choice options. You don't want to displace two people, right? The best choice would be to put Sharping in there and see how he flies. And if he doesn't succeed, 
then you have to decide between Jackson Carmen and Deontay Smith. I guess those would be the next men up for that position. Either way, a tough break heading into the playoffs, and I'm just I don't want to have that same feeling as last year of just a jailbreak on Joe Burrow on every play. And we we held up in the second half of this game, but again, the Ravens were playing a lot of backups. We just have to see how Sharping holds up next week. It's going to be major, and he's going to be facing some really good interior defensive linemen for the Ravens. Look at that Bills line, the Chiefs. I, I mean, you know, there's just a ton of good teams ahead of us, so we're going to have to make sure that that right guard position isn't a liability and do everything we can to get him up to game speed and any kind of scheming that we can do to help him out over there. Some other minor injuries from this game. Boyd looked like he had a concussion, but they cleared him, so I think he's all right. Higgins took that nasty shot to the chest area, kind of right near the spot of Hamlin. I mean, it was just crazy. Crispin looked like he was holding his calf after one of the punts. I'm hoping that he's okay. I know Huber's on the practice squad, so he's there just in case, but I'm hoping that Crispin's okay. And Cam Sample got banged up on a play, but it looked like he's okay. He went back into the rotation. So we got out of this game pretty much injury-free, except for one major, major one to Alex Kappa. Good luck, Alex. Heal up, and can't wait to have you back in the lineup next year. You were a star for us this year, and a great free agent pickup. And one of the only good things that came out of the Bills' cancellation is we got basically a bye week. You know, we played on a Saturday, and then we had a whole week, and then we played just not even a full quarter, and then we had another whole week. So that was a good time to rest up people in time for the playoff push. Kind of an unexpected buy. Some other end-of-year stats I just wanted to go over real quick. We were top five against what they call running quarterbacks, and that bodes well for the playoffs because if we face Lamar, Josh Allen, Mahomes does a lot of damage with his legs. Maybe you go to the Super Bowl and there's Jalen Hurts. You know, all those guys are considered running quarterbacks, and the fact that we were a top five team against them gives us a much better chance than most teams against these crazy offenses that you just never know what the quarterback's going to do. And congratulations to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, both going over 1,000 yards for the second season in a row. I'm predicting that that's going to be a yearly occurrence as long as they both stay healthy. And Joe Mixon set the Bengals' running back reception record, and we've had a couple great ones. James Brooks had a ton of catches. Gio Bernard had the most in a single season, and Mixon passed him. Mixon ended up with 60 receptions out of the backfield. And I can almost see that being Mixon's role as his career goes on. Maybe less pounding between the tackles, you know, not 20 carries a game. You know, that number comes down, but you start getting him really involved in the passing game. He's got great hands, and he's great in open space. So that could be the next evolution for Joe Mixon. He's not quite there yet. He's still a bell cow. We're going to ride that out for this year, probably next year. But as time goes by, that could be Joe Mixon's expertise, and he would be great in that role. Week 18 review, Cincinnati Bengals 27, Baltimore Ravens 16. All right, so a nice win for the Bengals. I know the Ravens rested a lot of players. That doesn't matter to me. We're still 12-4, and number one in the division, home playoff game. I don't care who they rested. I understand the methodology of Coach Harbaugh. You know, they, they don't want to give us too much this week. They want to throw the kitchen sink at us next week. They want to heal up a bunch of guys. So whatever you got to do, Coach, that's fine by me. The Bengals were here to play you this week and street fight you in the alley, and we'll do that next week as well. I want to say I love this uniform combination. The black and black with the orange socks, just a really cool look. It's just aesthetically pleasing to watch that the whole game. I'm a fan of that. Like I think we wear white too much. I know the all-white is really cool, but a lot of times you see the black jersey with the white pants. I don't want to go over clothing too much, but just give me black on black for like nine, ten games out of the year. It's just the coolest look that we have. And the Bengals were focused. You think they might have been coming off a little bit of a hangover after what happened during that Monday night game. And they came out fired up. The defense was playing well. The offense was continually scoring. You know, before you could blink, it was another like 17 nothing lead. So nice to see that this team has the mental makeup to overcome things and just get down to business. That's exactly what we did this game. And it was nice to see the crowd yell T on his first catch. And he wasn't himself. I could tell. Higgins... He had a couple catches, he had a couple drops, a couple miscommunications. It just seemed like, out of everyone, he was the one that wasn't quite back to normal because he's been on a tear the last few weeks, and this game was a real quiet game. Unless they game-planned it that way to not give any surprises for next week, I, I really can't tell 
what was going on. But if I had to say, I would say that T was just a little bit off this week. And I think by next week, he'll be back to normal, especially knowing that Hamlin's okay. And then they were saying that we were more vanilla than usual. And I guess we were, but, you know, we were throwing out five Ys. We were throwing out trips. We were throwing out a lot of exotic looks, maybe not a lot of exotic routes and and combinations like that. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention to that part. It, it seemed like a, a normally played game. The players were saying that they called it a little more vanilla than normal. So I'll believe them on that. And there were a lot of check downs because I guess we have to save some stuff for next week. You don't want to you know, throw out the kitchen sink on this game when the Ravens are just scouting you and not even trying to win. So I guess it does make sense. And Joe Mixon with the coin flip celebration. I thought that was really cool. And yes, $10,000 lighter in the pocket. I heard that it was Chad Johnson's idea and suggestion and that he would pay the fine. So I don't know who's paying that fine. But it was a very cool thing. And it just was a little bit of a, a note to the NFL like, yeah, you disrespected us. And it doesn't matter because we're going to be in the end zone the whole postseason celebrating. And then we always talk about scoring before the half and coming out strong after the half. And they showed a stat during the game that the Bengals have scored 10 times inside of two minutes of the first half. So they are exactly meeting that requirement that you need to win NFL games. 10 times they scored before the half. They have 12 wins. You can almost say almost every win was a game where they scored like that. I I don't know which games they did, which games they didn't. But 10 times, that's a winning formula. And they did it this game. It wasn't offensively. It was that strip sack by Hendrickson and the fumble recovery by Osai in the end zone with 30 seconds left in the half. And there it was, you know, all of a sudden it turns into a blowout because of that play. Then the second half, I don't know what was going on. If we were playing a conservative, trying to run out the clock, there was a lot of short passes, a lot of runs, and we did have a turnover, so, you know, that contributed. But we only scored three points in the second half, so I don't know if if the Ravens had some great adjustments or we just took it ultra-conservatively. But that's a little bit alarming. We definitely can't have that next week. We can't have this explosive first half and let them crawl back into the game in the second half. And that's what was happening against the Patriots a couple weeks back. But I don't think that's a worry for the playoffs. Just something to think about for this game. All right, so let's move on to some offensive observations. And my favorite topic is Joe Burrow, so we'll start with him. And I came up with my own quote during this week. I don't know, it just hit me and I was like, you know what, this is true. And I said... To myself, you don't lose too many games when you have an elite quarterback. And that has proven true through history. Obviously, we're seeing it with Joe Burrow. You know, we're a tough team to beat. We don't lose a lot anymore. And you go to all your Brady teams, even Rodgers all those years with with a winning record. It just goes to show Mahomes, they're, they're in the AFC Championship game almost every year. The Bills with, with Allen. So when you have an elite quarterback, you're in the mix all the time. And fortunately, we are with Joe Burrow. And they asked Joe Burrow, do you have a Super Bowl window or do you believe in a Super Bowl window? And the, the coolest answer, he answers back, yes, as long as I'm here and during my career, that's the Super Bowl window. So he's not subscribing to when the quarterback's low paid, you can surround him with all this talent. And then when the quarterback gets paid, the talent leaves and you can't make it back to the Super Bowl. I mean, that's the common thing about the Super Bowl window that they're talking about. And Burrow's just like, as long as I'm here, we have a shot to go to the Super Bowl. And you saw that with the guys I was talking about. Rodgers, a perennial threat. Brady was always a perennial threat. Mahomes, you you get the point with all those guys. So, again, we have that with Joe Burrow. 23 straight games with a touchdown pass. It's just like you could just put that in the bank, that Burrow was going to throw a TD pass every game, if not more. And usually it is more than one. And Burrow self-admittedly was a little bit off this game. He, he missed two deep throws. He had one to Chase, a little bit underthrown. He had one to Higgins, a little bit overthrown. And he threw a couple guys into hits. Hurst, Hurst got hit twice. Boyd, not the concussion play on Boyd, but there was another play where he kind of got strung out high and got really nailed. Higgins, of course, took the shot to the chest. So a lot of un-Joe Burrow-like things this game. And I'm not going to read into it. You know, no one's going to have a perfect pass every time. And, you know, every game is going to be flawless. This game, there were a couple things that were just a little bit off. He's aware of it. And that self-awareness is the key to it. He's not going to let that happen in the playoffs and moving forward. You know, if you you think I'm a Joe Burrow apologist, whatever. But look at his track record. How many games has he had where he's missed throws and thrown guys into big hits versus the opposite of that, right? So 
this is just the anomaly and not the norm. And he still did a lot to contribute to the win, even though it wasn't his best game. You know, they, they won the game clearly. And the game wasn't even as close as the announcers wanted to make it sound. You know, the whole game, they're, they're like, oh, Baltimore's, you know, just two scores down. And we kept them at sticks length the whole game. So I, I wasn't worried about, about that the whole time. But I guess for the broadcast, they need to keep your interest and make it sound like it's a closer game than it was. Either way, back to Joe Burrow. Throwing on the move, exceptional. He had the one no-look throw. And the good thing about him is he's got the movement skills, right? We saw all those slippery getaways. The one was like highlight reel where he, he dodged like four guys and ran out for a gain. But the big th- thing is throwing on the run, one thing, it's hard to be accurate when your body's moving. You have to kind of freeze your upper body and focus on your target more. It's, it's not an easy throw, and especially if you're going left and have to throw it. And even when you're moving to the right, your throwing arm, you know, those balls can sail on you. So not easy throws. So he's throwing on the move very well. But the key to throwing on on the move is not only the body control, but it's keeping your eyes downfield. So usually when you're on the move, it's because you're getting pressured. And a lot of inexperienced quarterbacks or less courageous quarterbacks are going to start looking at the rush and losing track of downfield. And that's how you throw interceptions. That's how you throw incomplete passes. That's how bad things happen. Burrow feels the rush, but is still looking downfield, and that enables him to be so successful throwing on the run. And, you know, playing quarterback, you can feel pressure. And that's why I'm shocked sometimes when these guys take blindside hits. Like, there's just, you, you have this innate sense where you can feel it around you, but also you can, you can feel the ground. Like, there's, you can almost feel the force of someone coming at you and feel them in the ground, you know, like someone advancing towards you, just the the steps, the pow, boom, 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 boom. So there's a lot that goes into it, and the great quarterbacks have that sixth sense, and Burrow's one of them. And there were a ton of great throws by Burrow. You know, the touchdown pass to Chase was a little underthrown, but right there, he had the couple passes on the run. He really seems to be able to get that slant into tight coverage. He did it with Irwin on Irwin's single catch of the game. And he did it on the Boyd play where Boyd got down to the goal line. That was a really tight window on a, on a skinny slant. And that is just Burrow's specialty. I, I love it. He takes a snap. He's looking right. All of a sudden, he comes back left and just fires a strike in there, even if it's contested. Other offensive observations. Hurst didn't have a huge game, but he had a few first down catches. He's a reliable target. He's that mid-level target for Burrow, aside from the three horses on the outside. And it's just great having him back in the lineup. He's going to make a big difference in the playoffs. And Jamar Chase picked him apart. He had his long touchdown pass, but it was a lot of stuff underneath. There was a lot of catch and runs. Eight receptions, a bunch of first downs by him. A lot of just pitch and catch. Just burrow to his favorite receiver and Chase doing something when the ball was in his hands. Boyd had a couple big catches for first downs. He, you know, he brought the one ball down to the goal line. A solid game by him. I think he had five catches on the day. And I thought the offensive line played great again. We'll go over the sacks in a little bit. And Jonah was responsible for two of them, but he's still playing well. But those sack numbers that he's giving up just seem to be going up and up. But I thought he played a decent game. Volson let up a sack. He played well, aside from that. Karras, great game. You know, Kappa was playing well till he went down. Sharping seemed to do the job when he was in there. Adenogy, I thought, was excellent, to be honest with you. So no complaints about the offense in any capacity. Mixon, you know, not a ton of rushing yards, but was effective in the past game. P. Ryan, another workmanlike game for him. Nothing special, but no mistakes at all as well. Defensive observations, the tackling in the secondary has been outstanding. And the secondary as a whole played great. Britt and Apple, they barely let up catches. Hilton, same thing. You know, the short tackling, not letting up a lot of big plays. And, you know, Bates, Bell... Apple, Britt, Hilton, you could even add Dax Hill and Trey Flowers to that mix. All of those guys tackle very well. And you're seeing it. There's not a ton of missed tackles in the Bengals secondary, and it leads to teams not getting big plays off them, and it leads to victories. And it's a big underrated stat on how well these guys tackle in open space. And welcome back, Sam Hubbard. I thought he had a great game. You know, no huge numbers, but just his presence in there has some pressures. I noticed he moves really well horizontally. So when there's a run away from him, he's, he knows how to take the right angle and get to the ball. He had one of those where he just went right down the offensive line behind everyone and made a hit in the backfield on a running back, and it's stuff like that. You know, we're getting our, our sack production out of him, but he's a big threat in the running game, 
And again, that showed true in this game as well. And BJ Hill, DJ Reader, the whole crew, obviously they're playing so well. You know, DJ Reader is just the best. And Hill had that big pressure that led to Bates' interception, his fourth of the season. And Bates played a nice rangy game. He had a forced fumble. He was in the backfield stopping the run. He was downfield stopping the pass. So it's nice to see Bates heating up at the right time, just like he did last year. Hilton had that nice pick with tight coverage. It was kind of undroppable. It just kind of fell into his his arm slash side, and he couldn't drop it. But big play, another interception for him. And the game was iced pretty much before that point, but that really iced it. The defense as a whole had a big stop on a fourth and one. We're up 17-0, and they went for it on a fourth and one, and we just stone them at the line and then Britt comes in the backfield and grabs the legs of Kenyon Drake and pulls him back which is something you like to see right normally they're trying to tackle him in the upper body and and they're the offensive line is pushing the scrum along for extra yardage this time he had none of that he was like I'm grabbing this guy's lower body and just taking it out and that's what he did he just swept his legs out and a big fourth and one stop by the whole team and a nice play by Cam Taylor Britt heads up play for a rookie Osai had a couple nice pressures. He's getting some extra snaps with Hendrickson a little banged up with that wrist, and he had a touchdown. So he had a fumble recovery a couple weeks back, and he had a fumble recovery for a touchdown this week. So nice to see Osai getting some big splash plays. Zach Carter is playing better down the stretch as well. A couple pressures, tackle for a loss. He had that ball that he tipped. He almost had an interception off of his own tip, and Jermaine Pratt had one of those later in the game too that he almost had the tip interception pick six. Neither one of those interceptions happened, but great plays by both of those players. On to special teams. Chrisman had that phenomenal punt where he put it out at the five-yard line, and that led to us getting the strip sack in the end zone. So really, that was like a... That play set up a defensive touchdown. That's how well he's punting. All right, so let's quickly go over some key plays from this game. So I'm just going to highlight two plays in particular. The first one is the chase touchdown. So what happens on the play before, that's where Joe Burrow missed Higgins on the deep route where he was wide open, overthrow, so unlike Joe Burrow, no big deal. He bounces back with a chase touchdown on the next play. So we line up three wide receivers, a tight end, and a running back. You have Chase on the outside and Boyd in the slot, Higgins on the other side. The Ravens send an exotic blitz where four guys blitz, but they drop two defensive linemen deep. So we leave Pirine and Hurst into block, and we only have three guys going out in the pattern. What happens? Boyd does the in, Chase does the go. They single cover Chase. I don't know why the safety didn't roll over top. The ball was slightly underthrown by Burrow, but it kind of was almost like a back shoulder without trying to be. And Chase high points it. Burrow, touchdown record, 35 touchdowns in the season. Big play in the game. And big play for Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. So the next play that I wanted to highlight is the Hendrickson strip sack. So what happens is Baltimore sends five guys into the pattern. So they have no one into block and they're inside of their own five-yard line. A little bit of a risky play call, especially with an inexperienced quarterback who's not making quick reads. So the Bengals only rush three guys. What happens is they double-team B.J. Hill, they double-team Osai on the outside, and they leave Hendrickson one-on-one. Hendrickson beats Stanley. He kind of throws him to the side. Tomahawk strips the quarterback, and the ball comes loose, and Osai is right there. He pounces on it for his first NFL touchdown. Great play by the Bengals, and questionable play call by the Ravens in that circumstance. They should have left someone into block, even though we only sent three guys. That was a recipe for disaster because there was no there was nowhere to throw it. You know, when you have eight guys dropping, especially for a rookie quarterback, very inexperienced like that. And in turn, the pressure got there quickly, and big play for the Bengals. All right, lastly, let's go into the sacks, and there were only two, which has been the MO of this team. Just a couple sacks a game, and we've just been winning eight in a row. You know, unstoppable. All right, so sack number one. Burrow drops back. No one open. Jonah blocks his guy into the end zone, but he kind of gives up thinking the play's over, and that guy recovers to sack Burrow. Adenogy kind of loses his guy at the end, And that's the guy who, like, face-masked Joe as Joe's trying to get away. But it was ultimately Jonah's guy that he kind of gave up on because he thought the play was over. So that sack does go to Jonah Williams. And there was pressure on that play, but it really was a result of no one being open for the quick throw. All right, the second sack was on Cordell Volson. He got beat by an OA spin move. He just 
Got him at the line. Volson was holding up all game. That one play, Oway does the spin move, gets to Burrow. And at the same time, Jonah was beat by Houston late, but that sack really was on Volson. But aside from that, pretty clean game by this offensive line. So that's it for this game. So we were 0-3 in the division, and then we won three in a row in the division, so we ended up 3-3. and That's kind of the norm. You know, you don't want to go 0-6. That's horrible. It's tough to go 6-0. and So it usually floats right around the middle. That's what we did. Regardless of that, it was still enough to win the AFC North crown. Bengals are champions, but that's just a small goal. AFC North champions, AFC champions, NFL champions. This is Zaire Johnson, and you are listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. NFL Playoffs Round 1 Preview, Cincinnati Bengals versus Baltimore Ravens. So I guess it's safe to assume that the Ravens fear the Cincinnati Bengals. They didn't play a lot of their starters in the last week. They gave us a really, really vanilla scheme. They threw in a third-string quarterback who wasn't ready to play. You know, all the signs that they were just giving that game away. They didn't care about the coin toss and home field. They just didn't want to show us too much because they know they're going to need to reserve it all for this playoff game. They're a well-coached team. They have a very good defense. Their offense doesn't score a lot of points, but they are dangerous, and they are a ball-control offense with their run game. Obviously, they use their tight ends a lot. And they signed Mike Thomas to the practice squad, and you know him. He was an ex-receiver for the Bengals. I liked him when he was here. And the Bengals waived him sometime in the midseason, and the Ravens picked him up. So I don't know how much information he's going to give them on us. He's definitely going to give them something. So we're going to have to account for that in the game planning and be prepared for that. That's that's what teams do. And, you know, the Ravens and Steelers seem to do that to us a lot. They grab ex-Bengals and try to get info because they are afraid of us. All right, so let's move on to offensively for the Ravens. If Lamar Jackson isn't playing or Huntley isn't playing, they're in trouble. They can't start this Anthony Brown and expect to win that game. So I assume we're going to see one of the two other quarterbacks. I'm not sure who. I just don't feel like Lamar's ready, and if he is, he's going to be a little rusty, maybe a little hobbled by that leg injury. So we're probably going to see Huntley in this game. And he brings that running element that Lamar Jackson brings. He's got a good arm, you know, pretty much as accurate as Lamar. It's just kind of like a lighter version of Lamar. So we'll see who we face. We're going to be ready for either one. You know, we have a good scheme in place, and Coach Anarumo has schemed against the Ravens a lot over the last few years. So he's ready for Lamar being mobile or Huntley being mobile or Andrews, or Dobbins, or anything that the Ravens are going to throw at us. And they're kind of a one-dimensional team because they just don't have a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. So really, if you can shut down their run game, there's very limited weapons that they can use against you. And at running back, it's a mystery. They have J.K. Dobbins, who's their bell cow, so expect to see him carry the ball 20-plus times in this game. Gus Edwards got a concussion against us. I don't know what's going to happen with him. And then you have Kenyon Drake, who had a decent game against us, and Justice Hill as the number four. So I'm not sure which of those running backs you're going to see. I would assume you'll see Dobbins. They'll probably clear Edwards. And then you'll have Drake rotating in there because he was fairly successful. And wide receiver, just not a lot there. You know, they went to Robinson a lot this game. Prochet hasn't been doing much. Duvernay is hurt. And, you know, they have Wallace, just a a bunch of kind of – third-tier options, so there's really not much to worry about at the wide receiver positions, especially the way that Apple and Cam Taylor Britt have been playing. You move over to tight end, you have Mark Andrews, one of the best in the league, and Isaiah Likely also had a pretty good game against us, so expect him to be utilized as well. Like I said, they scheme up their offense for to throw to tight ends more than wide receivers, so it's not just going to be Andrews. They're probably going to try to involve Likely as well. And then you have Patrick Ricard at fullback, who's like another offensive lineman in there, a 300-pounder that has good movement skills and can play a skill position. So he's a big threat in there. A perennial pro bowler, even though there's not many fullbacks to battle it out with. He's a very good player and dangerous in that in that run game. You know, you have a decent offensive line. You have this huge fullback punching through. And you have a quality running back. You know, that's a good formula to rack up some yardage on the ground. An offensive line, they're good there too. They had some injuries, but they have Ronnie Stanley back. Powers is in there, Linderbaum, the guy that we wanted, Zeitler, you know, getting up there in years, but still very functional, Moses, a decent player there, so across the offensive line, they're not bad. What do we do to stop these guys? 
You sell out to stop the run game. You load the box. You let DJ Reader and BJ Hill and the rotation do their thing in there. And you're not going to totally contain Andrews. He's going to get his catches. He's going to get his yards. He may get a touchdown or so. But for the most part, if you could just stop the run and make them have to throw to Andrews, I think you're in business here because the wide receivers are not going to do any damage unless it's some like crazy fluke play. So that's the exciting part about facing a team like this that is one-dimensional. And they score a decent amount of points for being one-dimensional, but nothing that I'm worried about. And I think the Bengals' defense can really get a hold on these guys. And what they scored 19 points on us last time, only one touchdown. So I kind of expect a little bit of the same of this. And I'm talking about the first game that we played. I'm not the, not the sham of a game that we just played. All right, over to defense, they have a great linebacking core. Roquan Smith, I owe him an apology. When I was talking about Logan Wilson going to the Pro Bowl, you know, I kind of dismissed Roquan as saying, like, he's a big name, so they automatically put him in. But it, truthfully, he's all over the field. His production has been great. That defense turned around since he's been there. So Roquan Smith, I hate to say it, I do owe you an apology, and you do deserve the Pro Bowl. I hope you don't have a good game against us this game. I know you got a little banged-up tackle in chase, so that's a little wake-up call for you. But either way, I hope you accept my apology. And then they have Houston as a pass rusher, uh, Bowser's in there, and then, of course, Patrick Queen as the other linebacker, who's up and down, you know, more of a plus than a negative. And you combine him with Roquan Smith, and you have a nice linebacking core. Defensive line, pass rushers, they have Pierre Paul. They have Matabuke. I don't know where he was last game if he's banged up. Always a very good player for them. They have Williams on the inside. Calais Campbell is still there. So it's a decent group that can get some pressure and are pretty good against the run. And we saw that last game with Mixon. Even though the Ravens didn't have some of their starters in there, we were having a hard time getting the run game moving. And this defensive line is one of those reasons. And the secondary is very good too. There's vulnerabilities. There's a lot of big names. There's a lot of good players. But I think that our wide receivers have the edge over these players. But, you know, they have Hamilton, the first round pick. Chuck Clark is still there. Marcus Peters is a great corner. Marlon Humphrey's very good. Worley had a great game against us this last game. Then you have Marcus Williams. So they have a, a whole bunch of guys that are in there in the secondary, and it's a decent secondary. So when you figure their defense is pretty good on all levels, not the greatest pass rushers in the world, but they have so many of them that it could become a threat. How do you attack this Ravens D? Well, I say you don't give up on the run game, and I'm not predicting we're going to have massive numbers on the ground, but you still need to keep that element so you're not one-dimensional like the Ravens are. I think you do some damage with Hayden Hurst again, and I really think the key is Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Of course, Tyler Boyd as well, but I think you get a monster game out of Chase and or Higgins, and that's the key to winning this game. You also want to use Mixon and Pirine as well coming out of the backfield. Onto special teams, Justin Tucker can win a game by himself. I'm really just hoping, I'm just hoping you don't see the Bengals score late and then the Ravens have like 40 seconds to go, they're down by two, and you see them drive with a couple big plays and then Tucker hits like a 59-yarder to win the game. I, I just have bad premonitions of something like that happening because he's done it to so many teams. I'm just hoping that heading into the fourth quarter and the last drive that we have a big enough lead where a long Tucker field goal isn't going to matter because he is such a weapon he can win games for them from pretty much any spot on the field. They cross midfield, and that guy has a chance at making a kick. And I'm not sure about Duvernay. He's a great returner for them. I know he's banged up. He has like a broken foot, so I don't think he's going to be playing this game. So that's a dangerous weapon that's not there for them. But yeah, you know, they, they have some talent on offense. They're solid, all levels of defense. The best kicker in football, the Hall of Famer. Good special teams, good coaching. You know, as much as we think we're just going to roll over the Ravens, this is a very good team, and we're going to have to be on our best. We can't play mistake football. We can't let them in the game with fluke plays and pick sixes and turnovers and, you know, big kick returns, all those things. If you just limit those crazy plays and just go mano y mano offensively and defensively, the Bengals have more talent, more skill, and better schemes to win this game. All right, so since it's the playoffs, position by position, I'm just going to quickly run down what we need out of each, each position group. So quarterback, Joe Burrow, just be Joe Burrow. Just be the same accurate Burrow. Read the defenses, take control, show leadership, show poise. Just everything that Joe Burrow does, I'm not worried about the quarterback position in this game. Running back, I just need these guys to stay tenacious. Mixon and Pirine, and if they bring in Travion, your main thing is going to be blocking for, for Burrow when he drops back to pass. 
coming out of the backfield for some receptions and not giving up on the ground game. Even if you're, even if the blocking's not holding up, you're getting a yard or two here or there. Don't get down. Stay the course. It's all part of the plan. We need to have some balance between the pass and the run. Wide receivers, again, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, one of you guys just take over this game, and there's no looking back. They, they can't keep up with our firepower, and you two guys are the most electric players on this team at the skill positions. So good game by both of you or one of you, and that should be enough to do it. Tight end, Hurst, you're going to have your work cut out for you. You know, going over the middle, and Roquan is very active in there. Patrick Queen's a big hitter. There's some dirty hitters on this team, too. So, you, you know, you're going to have to be going across the middle of the field and, and taking some hits. But I know you're up for the task, Hayden Hurst, because this is your ex-team that kind of gave you the shaft. And I expect a big game out of you, too. Offensive line, we just need to make sure that the new right side of the offensive line holds up. They're going to be coming at Adenogy. They're going to be coming at Sharping. And, you know, they're still going to try their luck with Jonah and Volson. I mean, there's there's a lot of areas where if I was a defensive coordinator, I would go after you. You know, Jonah's let up some sacks. Volson is a rookie. Sharping's barely played this year. And Adenogy has a little bit of a checkered resume. So look for them to be doing a lot of tricks, stunts, blitzes, rotating guys in and out. So as an offensive line, you just got to hold up. You just have to play like you have been playing and, and limit the sacks. Two sacks, a winning effort. Six sacks, probably a losing effort. And another big thing for the offensive line is trying to get to the second level. Like I said, their linebackers make a lot of tackles for them. They're very active. If we can get a guard or a tackle to the next level, even a tight end, and get a hit on those linebackers, that's going to do a lot to open up holes for the run game. Defensive line, you have to continue doing what you're doing. Some pressure on the quarterback is fine. You know, I don't trust the accuracy of any of their three quarterbacks, whether there's pressure or not. So that's really not the important thing. The important thing is stopping the run like you have been doing all season. And we have the horses to do that. So let's keep the guys fresh. Let's keep Reeder and Hill playing like they have been playing. And we should be okay against this, this heavy-duty run game of the Ravens. Linebackers, same thing. You're going to have to not let offensive linemen get to the second level and get at you. You're going to need to be that next level of defense to, to get these running backs on the ground. Also be prepared to cover them out of the backfield. Also be prepared to be busy with Andrews. Even if we have Trey Flowers on him or we're rotating defensive backs, safeties, and whatnot, there are going to be plays where there's a linebacker soloed up on Mark Andrews or in a zone situation. So be prepared for that as well. Defensive backs, and I'll go back to what I've been saying, just do what you've been doing all year. They don't have quality wide receivers. You know, a couple guys that can get you deep if you fall asleep on them. But we have good speed on the outside at corner. I just don't think that their wide receivers are going to be a threat to us. The only thing that could happen is we underestimate them and fall asleep on them. Or you have your eyes in the backfield too much. You know, just making blatant mistakes like that. I, I say play these guys like you would play a top wide receiver in the league. And that'll be enough to neutralize that aspect of, of their game. And we also need those corners to come up and help make tackles, and safeties obviously too. You know, it needs to be 11 guys involved in tackling in the run game as well. Can't just sit on an island out there and watch the mess going on inside. So a big part of it is run responsibility for your defensive backs. And again, I don't think they're going to hurt us too much in the pass game. Just don't take anything for granted, or don't take anybody too lightly. These are NFL players. Special teams, let's have Crispin get us some field position. That's big. McPherson, I'm not worried about him. Just, you know, I know he's had some rocky points this year, but it's crunch time. It's playoff time. We're at home. I would trust him to make any field goal that I would trust Tucker to make in this game. And return game, I'm not looking to win it or lose it on big returns. We have a powerful enough offense to move the ball. Our defense generates great field position and some turnovers here and there. So those are the way that we're going to get field position. I'd rather just see the returners have ball security. No fumbles on the kickoff, no weird punt return fumbles. Just make sure you catch the ball and you hand the ball to the ref at the end of the play, and I think our returners will have done their job in this game. So that's it. The Ravens made some good halftime adjustments against us this year, and that's been our specialty, so we're going to have to win that chess match from a coaching perspective. Let's keep calling some creative plays. We have too many good individual players for them to stop, even though they have some good players on defense. I just think if you spread it around, keep Burrow protected, be smart, keep a balanced offense, I, th I, think, I think we got this game. And I think that the Bengals are going to win this game 24-17. to 17. 
Cincinnati Bengals advance to the second round of the playoffs and one step closer to the Super Bowl. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? It's playoff time. I've been waiting all season for this moment. It's time to go in to capture, defend the AFC title crown and go back and finish the job on the Super Bowl. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing just as good, and I hear you. This is what we set out to do in the beginning, and here we are. So what are your thoughts on what's been going on? Man, a lot. It's a lot of emotions that's happened. You know I mean, obviously, the key thing of what happened on Monday night against the Buffalo Bills with the DeMar Hamlin uh, cardiac arrest situation there, I'm just really happy that the, the brother's doing okay. The city of Cincinnati took really good care of him, and I, and I want to make sure that is echoed in loud sentiment. Both fan bases, Bills Mafia and Houday Nation, we all collaborated together to make sure that we joined hands and say the prayer for the brother, man. I'm just really happy that he's doing great because it got really scary uh, during that period of time, and it just we were just all scratching and clawing and hoping that we was going to get some good news. And we finally got some good news that he's doing fine. And um, at the time of this recording, uh, he's actually out and back in Buffalo now. So good stuff to hear. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you definitely speak for a lot of people there and, and spoken very eloquently beyond that, you know, onto less important things, but onto the football part of things. Um, what are your thoughts after the win against the Ravens and you know, what we're looking at ahead of us? Well, let's let's start with this against the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I'm glad that the, all the Bengals played that game and won that game. I'm glad we just got the win. If you recall in a previous episode that you and I had discussed, when we were going into the back half of the season, I said the Bengals cannot lose any more division games. They just can't. We sort of always kind of knew that it was going to go down to the wire in Week 18, essentially for the division crown. Obviously, the opportunity got missed with the cancellation of the game between the Bills and Bengals because that game, Bengals would have won, that would have gave them the division crown a week earlier. And that could have happened. But, you know, like I said, more important things had to get taken care of first and foremost with that one. But I'm just glad that the Bengals played and got the jitters out because it was their first time to take the field since that all went down. And there's never going to be no easy division game as what we saw. But I'm glad that the team kept its composure during the dogfight, even though we jumped out on that lead early. It got really shaky in the second half, and I didn't like that, that we started slow in the second half and then sort of put our foot on the gas. But, however, after hearing the media spoke, I'm talking when I say the media, I mean the Bengals players and the coaches speaking to the media, I've sort of relaxed my stance on being so hard on them because these guys just took the field uh, so late after everything that transpired and that can do a lot of things to to a person, to a team. But it's really just good to kind of see everything just be galvanized. I, I, you love to see it. Now, we got another rematch coming up with them, so we can't take it lightly. I don't care what their status is regarding Lamar Jackson. You just got to be ready to play. Yeah, 100%. And what are your thoughts on how that game's going to turn out? I know it depends on if it's Jackson, Huntley, or Brown. But, you know, what are you thinking heading into this pretty big matchup? Well, I'm going to give you what I I believe that the general public is probably thinking. Then I'm going to give you my actual thoughts. So the general public is thinking like, well, we might not see Lamar Jackson, guys. You know, he's he's dealing with some sort of battle between them and the Ravens, and he's probably milking a century out, which could be true. They throwing out there the realization that we might see Tyler Hunt, he might be prepared to start, and that's why they wrestled him. And we saw Anthony Brown. They're going to have their other starters back. And might, we might even see Lamar Jackson. That's the general public, maybe, that perception of that. For me, I really want Lamar to play this game. I really want number eight to show up on the field because I'm bringing my number nine. And this time, number nine ain't going to miss those throws like he did in week 18. I want to see a battle because at the end of the day, I don't want to hear no excuses from coming from those Ravens fans that want to talk about the injuries that they they had to deal with all throughout the season. I had to hear that last year. Bring Lamar Jackson out on the field. Tell that boy to ice up because I want to see him on the field and I want to beat them the right way. So that is my overall assessment on how I prefer to face the Ravens. I want them at their best and I want them to face us at our best, give us our best shot. Are you concerned with us not having Kappa in the lineup and Collins is gone, so now that's a kind of a new right side of the offensive line? 
gonna be honest, that wasn't really a good timing to have those injuries. But you can't make excuses. I just went on a small little rant about the Ravens complaining about their injuries and trying to diminish our wins because of it. But nonetheless, we can't do the same thing. It is a little bit of a worry, but I'm trusting in the core value of this team that they can overcome it. So I do have some worry, but I also trust in the leaders of the team that, hey, we're going to propel our guys to step up and do better. And we got goals to reach, so you, you can't be slacking off now. Justin, let's move on to the rest of the playoffs, if you don't mind, for a second. We'll, we'll bounce off the Bengals to some other things. What are your thoughts on the Jaguars-Chargers game? Uh, that is going to be my favorite game to tune into on Saturday, because I think that's the Saturday night game. Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence. When they played each other earlier in the season, Trevor Lawrence dominated. That was like their, his true coming out party for the season. I believe they won a game like 38 to 10. I'm not quite sure of the score. Somebody can fact check me there. But it was a pretty good game that the Jags played. And honestly, while I don't see that exact same thing shaking out again, this is going to be one of my favorite matchups to where both quarterbacks is going to probably just let it all hang out and just go throw for throw. It might be one of the best games of the weekend in terms of points and style points-wise of where you're going to see just both quarterbacks just throw haymakers at each other. This could be a potentially high-scoring game. Now, as far as like who I think is going to win the game, the Chargers are the safe pick because you do kind of think that if the Chargers were to somehow lose this game in the playoffs, that it will do more harm for their coaching staff and their organization morale than the Jaguars. But the Jags, are, they're just they are just fun and an energetic team. And I can see them winning this game, too. It's a really tough game for day, man. So, for now, I'm going to go with the Chargers. I think the Chargers will probably narrowly pull off this win, and it'll be a fun contest. What are your thoughts on the other AFC matchup, the Dolphins going to the cold-weather Bills? I understand how a lot of people looked at the Bills and the Dolphins when they played in Orchard Park a few weeks back. You know, obviously Tua was in that game. And even if Tua does come back in this game, there's just something that's just going to tell me that there are no match for this Buffalo Bills team who is just super energized of, you know, the DeMar Hamlin spirit. I think that Buffalo wins that game pretty handily and pretty comfortably, if you ask me. Okay, let's move on to the NFC. So what are you thinking about Prescott at Brady? Yeah, another another tough matchup to predict. Uh, we were all ready to jump on a bandwagon of predicting the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' downfall, you know, because Brady's not looking like the same old Brady, and their defense has just lost so many guys. And it just seems like that bridge is almost has had too many holes in it that even if somebody were to walk across it, even as great as Tom Brady is, he's the GOAT, that that bridge was going to collapse at some point. But it hasn't, and, you know, they stayed the course, and – Obviously, they finished season eight and nine at a horrible record, but somehow, some way, I just feel like that this Brady match is going to turn, and I think that something just tells me that Brady's going to do it again. And I mean, the Cowboys are the perfect opponent for him to do this again because I'm not really trusting in the Dallas Cowboys neither. They looked at really bad in Week 18. I think that the Dallas Cowboys have underperformed these last few weeks of the season, and. I just don't know if I'm ready to put my money on the Cowboys stock at this stage in the in the playoffs now. So I'm going to go with the Bucks. I think that this is going to be another kind of really ugly looking game, but I think the Bucks are going to come out on top and win it. What about Giants at Vikings? For some reason everybody is picking the Giants to upset the Minnesota Vikings because they want to see they they understand that storyline of you know, Kirk Cousins, he struggles in primetime and in the playoffs and stuff like that. I'm just not there with the Giants. I, I think that they've had a very successful season. Daniel Jones has turned his, himself around thanks to more or less, thanks to Brian Dable, of course. But I'm going to actually go with the Minnesota Vikings. I think that even though I really don't love them as a team or a Super Bowl pick, I do kind of think that they're going to be out to prove a statement that your storyline that you're kind of creating about the Giants pulling off of a big upset, that that's not going to happen. Again, in the playoffs, it's always weird. And my early prediction of this is, and I obviously can be wrong on any of these things, 
But my early prediction is that I think that the Minnesota Vikings and Kirk Cousins, they stayed the course and they proved to themselves that, hey, we were right to be included as, I think, the team's number three seed all along uh, or the number two seed. I think they were fighting for that. But they're the three seed now that we were the better team all along. You guys actually had it right. But for those that keep selling our stock because we haven't won these incredibly massive games, um, I'm, I'm actually going to go with the Vikings. I'm going to probably stand on alone on an island maybe a few people and maybe with Vikings fans, but the general public is seeming to, to buy into the Giants and the story that they can pull off the upset against the Vikings, that everybody's sort of licking their chops to play them. Yeah, I'm not doing that. So I, I think the Vikings are going to pull it off. Oh, I agree with you. I, I think everyone's getting a little carried away with the Giants and there's not as much talent there as people think. And, you know, at Vikings, I, nah, that I, I totally agree with you there. All right, lastly, what about the Seahawks at the Niners? <sighs> Seahawks run is going to come to an end. It's just plain and simple. I really wish it would have been the Detroit Lions to be in that seventh seed. I didn't like how this, the NFL just sort of pre-assessed a storyline narrative that it was going to be Aaron Rodgers in that seventh seed because you just saw how it all just shook out. The Packers just go on this nice little run. It comes down to if they beat the Lions, they're in. They're in Lambeau. Everybody already penciled the Packers in the seventh seed. They didn't really care what the Seahawks did. They really struggled against the Rams, by the way. And I, I just really felt like that the Lions were deserving of that seventh seed. Now, I wasn't going to pick them to win either. But I just think that the 49ers are just going to be too much to handle. That roster is loaded. The Seahawks, I really think that Geno Smith had an incredible season of just a resurgence in his own life. You know, the whole world gave up on him. This is a quarterback that hasn't started a game in eight seasons. And he is, and he should be the unquestioned comeback player of the year. It's just it's just been an incredible story for him. But unfortunately for me, your story's going to come to an end. Uh, you don't have the firepower to match with the Niners both on both sides of the ball. I do like DK Metcalf, but I think I like the skill position of George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. I like those guys a lot better. Oh, can't forget about Christian McCaffrey. That defense is just loaded. You know, Nick Bosa is going to should be the defensive player of the year. He would get my vote. He's just been on a, just a tear. I don't think it stops. I get it. Brock Purdy is playing quarterback, but Brock Purdy is doing a nice job filling in for Jimmy G. And it's, it's, I don't even think it's going to be close, really. Uh, maybe you might see a little bit of Geno Smith magic to kind of make the score look respectable. But while watching the game, it, it's not going to feel like it'll be a game. All right. Lastly, let's circle back to the Bengals. And I always trust you for like locker room motivation. What would be your message to the team before this playoff game? If you know Justin Lacey can give him a 15 second uh, encouragement speech, you know, I'm going to sort of adopt the uh, principle that Jimmy Johnson had when he was talking to his Dallas Cowboy teams back in '93. You know, they were coming off of a Super Bowl victory in 1992, and then they were chasing to be back to back champions. Um, and his message to the locker room was, You are the best team if you have a, a two by four. 15-foot pole long or whatnot. I think that's what his analogy was. And you told every single player to walk across this pole, have it stand on the ground. Every single one, you'd be able to walk it. Now, take this 2x4 and put it 15 feet up in the air. And then you walk this 2x4. Then your conscience is like, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. And then what happens? You fall. That's exactly the same memo that I will kind of go off of and tell the team is that you are indeed the best team in the AFC. You are the defending AFC champions, and you've gotten better this year. Everybody told you at the bye week that you had an incredibly brutal schedule coming up. You went and wiped the floor with every single one of these opponents, including sweeping your, the rest of your division opponents. We're going to leave the Buffalo game out of it because that game was a no contest. But the Bengals did start really playing really well, even to start that game before what happened. They went on a tear this whole entire time. They gotten better. They gotten stronger. You are the better team in this situation. Do not overlook your opponent, but at the same time, make your opponent respect you. You are hearing too many times, whether if it's from the Ravens press, whether if it's Ravens players, whether it's Ravens coaches, Ravens fans, all of Ravens flock nation, and in the media, that the Ravens still look down on you because they feel like they've always been a better organization than you. And they want to see you slip up. They're going to feel so much joy if they were going to knock you out of the playoffs. They don't even have to go advance any farther than that. They're just going to be happy that they knocked you out. 
you don't want to give them that satisfaction and that joy. That team is crumbling under your eyes because they have tough decisions to make in, a, in their front office, let alone with their own starting quarterback, their franchise quarterback. Take all of that distraction away. Don't worry about the Lamar Jackson elements of the game. You've seen him enough times already to know that you can game plan him with or without him. So you don't even care. You shouldn't even have to worry about that. This is about you. You are the best team in the AFC. I don't care what the seating says. You are the defending AFC champions. You now have time to prove that. Go finish the job. Win the Super Bowl. Wow, Justin. Powerful words. They need you in that locker room. I'm sure that day is going to come soon. How do people find you on social media? You can definitely find me on Twitter at J-U-T-T-Y underscore 13. Or you can also search Justin Lacey. And I, I love interacting with us Bengals fans. Let's do it. Who they nation. AFC North standings. The Cincinnati Bengals have finished in first place in the AFC North, and they are champions for the second straight year at 12-4. The Baltimore Ravens are in second place at 10-7. The Pittsburgh Steelers are in third at 9-8. And and the Cleveland Browns are in last place at 7-10. The Bengals finished the season as the number three seed in the AFC. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Bengals' playoff win, I mean game, against the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to preview round two of the playoffs, and we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. Unofficial Bengals Podcast.